And here in this space, we're going to turn to, uh, to Acts chapter 18. Uh, as you pulled in the parking lot, you might have noticed there was a big mound of dirt. We were planning to preach Sermon on the Mount outdoor worship this morning. Um, no, uh, I did want to celebrate with you that uh, this week we began the construction on our sports fields. And uh, this last week and the week to come, we'll, we'll be able to see just tremendous progress uh, as we celebrate uh, the work of the body together in our Boundless Campaign and the launch of sports ministry here uh, later this winter. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse 24 and then follow through the end of the chapter. If you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn with me there and then stay with me because we're going to walk uh, our way through some of uh, this, this chapter and chapters adjacent. Uh, let's together hear the word of the Lord. Meanwhile... A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously defended the, uh, refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and its hearing. Together we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, it is an extraordinary joy to gather around your word. Your word that is at the center of our table of gathering along with the sacrament of Holy Communion. So we ask, oh God, that you would Make yourself known to us in this space and this time by our attention to your holy word. And Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see. Open our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word. Our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask by your grace that you would open our hands that we would respond to this teaching by offering grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I know that whenever we read a text like this that is less commonly uh, known and attended to, that sometimes we, we wonder, well, where is this coming from? What's the orientation? Especially when we hear three names that are the primary characters of the story, and, uh, and it's not Jesus, Paul, Moses, Abraham, right? Like, like this, is, this is a different deal. So the primary characters here are uh, Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos. And so we're going to dig in uh, by, by beginning with a, a word of orientation. How did we get here uh, in Ephesus with uh, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos? Uh, I want you to turn, if you still have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, just the opening of uh, three verses of that chapter. And uh, it helps us to understand uh, our introduction to Aquila and Priscilla in Scripture. Beginning in verse 1, after this... Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, 
a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now, some fascinating things about uh, Aquila and Priscilla uh, that we learn here. One is that they're Jewish. Two, that they moved recently from Rome to Corinth, which is where Paul is. And three, that they're tent makers. So, so let's kind of like frame this out. This is, this is awesome for Paul. And this, this is like, wow, like I can resonate with these people. I can build a relationship with these people. Uh, we have so much held in common from the very beginning. And so Paul does that very thing. Uh, it, Paul is a Jewish leader. Priscilla and Nicola are Jewish. And Paul knows that his ministry is to the Gentiles, but he is still working to evangelize the Jews at this stage of his ministry. And so this would be a natural connecting point for him to reach out and minister to Aquila and Priscilla. The the second piece is that that they're from Rome. And we know from Paul's own writings, Paul's heart for Rome. He deeply wanted to get to Rome to be able to tell of the good news of Jesus in Rome because he was clear that if he could proclaim the good news of Jesus in Rome, then the world would know because Rome was the center of the whole world. And people came from all over the world to Rome. And so if the gospel could take root, take hold in Rome, it could multiply. So he, he comes in, he meets Jews who were recently transplanted from Rome. And I'm sure he has all the questions in the world about Rome. Tell me about Rome. Tell me about its culture. Tell me about, tell me about its leadership. Tell me about uh, the way in which people walk through their lives so that my testimony will be refined if I one day have the opportunity to preach in Rome. Then number three, they were tent makers. Uh, did, did y'all know that? That Paul was also a tent maker. That was his, uh, his side hustle, his extra, his extra effort, right? He was both evangelist and a tent maker. And so we, we even hear that in contemporary culture sometimes about a pastor who is bivocational, who does two things professionally. One is they are indeed a pastor, but they also have a secondary, ministry, uh, a secondary vocation that provides the income to support their family. We would call that in these days a tent-making pastor. And so Paul is a tent-maker, and he meets other tent-makers. And so what does he do? He says, I'm going to live with you. And as, a, as, as the three of them uh, are developing relationships, obviously something extraordinary happens. And we might first wonder, well, how long were they together in Corinth? Uh, how long did this relationship between Paul and Aquila and Priscilla uh, go forward? So in Acts 18, verse 11, just a few verses after what we just read, we hear how long they were in Corinth. In verse 11, it says, so Paul stayed in Corinth, and we already know that he's uh, staying with Aquila and Priscilla, uh, a year and a half, teaching the people of Corinth the word of God. So there we have it. A year and a half, Paul, Aquila, Priscilla are sharing life together in ministry in Corinth. Now, how long does it take you to develop like an awesome friendship? 
like a really deep friendship. Well, it takes a little bit longer as we get older and our lives are, are fragmented in work, in family, in, in, uh, in church community, and all of the different areas that pull us. And so our attention is a little bit scattered. But think back to college, if you went to college, and what it was like then, or maybe those early days as a young professional where your life was those relationships. If, you're, if your work... Uh, which might have been school, and, and, your, uh, and your passions, which uh, for Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla was teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of your, your evening times and your meal times were incorporated together. In a year and a half, they could have had an awesome friendship. And I think it's, it's interesting that, that we don't hear as much about Aquila and Priscilla as we do about Timothy or about Barnabas, but I would put to you today that these three had just as rich a relationship as anyone else did with Paul. And so we then hear that, that, that there's a, a move that takes place. It's in uh, Acts 18, verses 18 and 19. We hear that, that they were in Corinth and now they're, they're moving, okay? So in verse 18 it says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off in Chinchoria because of a vow he had taken. And they arrived at Ephesus where he left Priscilla and Aquila. And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So... Uh, when Paul feels called to leave Corinth and go to the next stop on his missionary journey, this is his second missionary journey, uh, we see that they arrive in Ephesus and he chooses to bring his friends, Priscilla and Aquila, along with them. Now, just a side note, this is the first time that, that uh, the two of them are listed in this order, Priscilla and Aquila, so much so that it's now the vernacular of uh, the Christian culture that whenever you say Aquila and Priscilla, you don't say in that order, you say Priscilla and Aquila, the wife before the husband. There is a whole sermon there because that was a, a, an intentional articulation of leadership that Paul is uh, entrusting to and appropriating to Priscilla in the ministry. She is the leading voice for the evangelistic movement that he ha has entrusted them. And, and, and it does say that he left them. So it, in that one verse, it just says he left them, he went to the synagogue. But here's the truth of the matter. If you keep reading, he leaves them, he goes to the synagogue, he teaches, and then he leaves the synagogue uh, with this final word. If the Lord calls me to come back here, I will return. And then he for real deuces. That's it. He's gone. And, and he leaves Ephesus. He ends up meandering all the way back to Jerusalem and has left Priscilla and Aquila this ministry to plant the church of Ephesus. Here we are in the order. Paul has not arrived in Ephesus. This was the very first introduction of the good news of Jesus uh, to the people of Ephesus. And yes, we have the letter Ephesians, which is to the people of Ephesus that Paul writes, and he has a relationship there, just as we have the, letter, the two letters to the, churches in, to the church in Corinth, in 1 and 2 Corinthians. But here we, we have Paul, who gives one sermon and leaves the planting work of the church to Priscilla and Aquila. 
that might not have resonated for so many of us. We know that, that, that Paul had such a substantial ministry in Ephesus. We hear about Apollos' ministry in Ephesus. We know of John's ministry in Ephesus. But to know that the church was actually planted by Priscilla and Aquila, maybe that would help to orient the challenge that they are faced whenever we get to our anchor reading this morning in Acts chapter 18, 24, and following. So let's hear just those first couple of verses of what we read again. Now in the light of who Priscilla and Aquila are, their relationship to Paul, and the challenge that they have been given by God and through Paul to plant a church in Ephesus. So they hear, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, in verse 24, a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus, and he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge in the Scriptures and had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, Though he knew only the baptism of John, he, had, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. It's a fascinating uh, balance there that we are called to. It says that, uh, that Apollos uh, is a, a great man. He is learned he has extraordinary knowledge of the scriptures. And so in that day and age, to say someone had a deep knowledge of the scriptures meant that they probably, uh, at the very least, were discipled under a rabbi because, uh, you know, our uh, understanding of someone that really knows scripture is um, diminutive compared to what the expectation would be for someone in that day and age to say that they knew scripture. Like to know scripture meant that you walked through it, that you read it all multiple times, that you had uh, elements of it, uh, much of it memorized, that you understood the connecting thread between the Torah and, and, and the history through the kings and the judges all the way through the prophets. You understood the word of God. May we all get there, right? May someday someone be bold enough to say that we knew the scriptures. And he was a teacher who had great fervor. He had such extraordinary passion as he taught. People were, 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 uh, were interested in what he had to say because of the way he presented it. He knew what he was talking about, and he had passion about what he was talking about. And it was a beautiful thing. But then we get to two lines describing uh, his ministry that are encouraging and troubling all at the same time. It says that he taught accurately, and yet he taught inadequately to have accurate teaching that is inadequate teaching is troubling and damaging and whenever those two things aren't held in common that you have accurate and inadequate teaching it can it could hurt the witness of Jesus Christ in this community and it said one of the elements of that here was that that John that, that Paul, excuse me, that Apollos knew only of the baptism of John. And that was one of the core elements. Accurate and yet inadequate. When I was early in my ministry, in my early and mid-20s, I was a pastor in Bryan College Station at a church plant called St. Luke's, and Lauren and I were, were broke. And so uh, I gave plasma. And I'm not going to have you show your hands if you've ever given plasma. But I gave plasma in that day and age to try to make ends meet, all right? And uh, I don't think it was by accident that the plasma shop in, uh, in Bryan College Station was just off of Northgate. 
You get what I'm selling? You know, so, uh, so there it was. It was kind of a ghetto spot, and, uh, and they uh, determined how much you got paid by how much plasma you could give, and you could give more plasma if you weighed more, all right? And so uh, I showed up one day in my car, and there was a, a young man from my church's ministry uh, that rolled up on his bicycle, and we walked in at the same time. And, uh, and normally, what do you do with your bicycle when you get off of it in a college town? You take the chain off, and you wrap the chain around a pole and, and the, the frame, and, and you have the safety of, uh, of your bike chained up. He didn't do that. He, uh, he took the chain off of his bike, and he put it in his pocket. You see, my friend was a slender dude, and he wanted the max money that he could get from donating plasma. So he walked in, he checked in, went through all the physical kind of commentary, and then he stepped on the scale with a chain in his pocket and a coat around him in the summer. And sure enough, he weighed in for the max money, one pound over the minimum requirement. And he proceeded to give plasma, and as he was giving plasma for the max money at an accurate but inadequate weight, he passed out. Right, so, so, so you don't just want accuracy, you want adequacy. You want the information that you have to not only be, be true, but it, to be appropriated properly. Combining accuracy and adequacy is a critical element of how we engage in the world and how we present the gospel of Jesus. Those two things must be held in complement. And so, how was Apollos missing this? Uh, in what way was his knowledge only of the baptism of John and not of the baptism of Jesus calling, uh, a, calling a people to something that was short of the full truth that was available to them? If we, if we continue on in the story past what we began with in the opening of chapter 19, uh, we, hear, uh, we hear about uh, Paul's uh, reintroduction to Ephesus. So on his second missionary journey, he comes through Ephesus, he goes back to Jerusalem, then he goes back out and he meanders his way back to Ephesus. And by this time, Apollos is no longer there. He's now in Corinth. He replaced Paul who was in Corinth before he went to Ephesus. Do you see that? So, so here's, what, here's what we learn uh, about what had gone on in Ephesus and Paul's correction of it. So verse, chapter 19, beginning verse one. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he asked them, just a simple question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. We, basically, we know nothing of which you speak, the Holy Spirit of which you speak. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in other languages and prophesied. 
You see, whenever we hear this beautiful uh, distinction between this baptism of John that calls to repentance, we got to remember that, that John was always proclaiming not only repentance, but that he was clearing the path, that he was leading the way, the forerunner for the one that would follow him, the one through, uh, that, that he was unworthy to even untie or to tie his sandals. This John knew that, that, that he was nothing compared to Jesus and that what he was doing was only preparing for what would be to come. You see, John's baptism was a call to acknowledge your sin, to acknowledge your brokenness and our common need for a Savior. But the baptism of Jesus the baptism of Jesus is the fulfillment of that need. It begins with the heart that is yearning for repentance, and then it leads to absolute transformation. It doesn't end at repentance, but begins with it. And as we move from repentance, we receive both water and the Spirit. The baptism in Jesus is both water and the Spirit, that it cleanses us from our sins, but it also anoints us with the power of the Holy Spirit, which leads us to no longer be under the power of sin. We still sin in our lives, but when we've received the baptism of water and the Spirit, and when we have the Holy Spirit, we're no longer under the power of sin. We're no longer shackled by it, but we are set free to live in the Spirit in the world. This is a drastic difference, the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. And so now we understand much more fully what it was that Priscilla and Aquila were feeling whenever they heard Apollos proclaim so eloquently, so beautifully, so passionately the gospel, and yet they were accurate and still inadequate. He was accurate and still inadequate because he knew not of the transformation that we have through the Spirit in Jesus so they had a choice to make. Priscilla and Aquila had a choice. This evangelist comes into their community and proclaims this, uh, this inaccurate, uh, the inadequate teaching. What, what would you do? What could you do? Now, first of all, you might say they could have done nothing because when we're faced with conflict, that's a common response. If there's conflict, I'm out. I'm not going to engage in it. I'm not going to have conversation about it. I'm not going to acknowledge that the conflict even exists. I'm going to put my head in the sand, and I'm going to walk away. There's nothing to see here. And so that's, that's commonly an option that we might take. And for Priscilla and Aquila, that would seem even more appropriate. For the two of them to hear this inadequate teaching, uh, they could have very well said, I'm not Paul. Right? Uh, Paul? mentored me into the ministry, and now when he returns, if he returns, he can deal with it. That's not on me, that's on someone else. That's a common way we deal with conflict. The second way that it could have been done is it could have been done by a bullhorn, right? Engage in the confl conflict by outshouting the competition. You've never seen that before, right? He's up in the synagogue teaching, maybe on a stool or on a step, they could have gone to the other end of the synagogue and they could have gotten up on a stool or a step and they could have been like, you're wrong, right? Let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me tell you how you're wrong. Let me, let me tell you why everybody that believes what you're selling is going to hell. Like you could have probably heard something like that before. 
They could have turned it into a who is loudest and who is more aggressive and who is more abusive as the means to resolve the conflict. Or they could have done what others had done to Paul before. They could have incited all of the hearers to undermine Apollos' ministry and run him out of town. Paul was run out of many a town. And it was by people working in the quiet corners of, uh, of the streets and uh, engaging in conversations that would lead to disruption of Paul's message and sometimes even lead to him being stoned. Everybody thought to death, but not to death, but stoned. So they could have done that. They could have rallied the troops through quiet conversations and built up uh, uh, an, an, an uh, adversary for Apollos and in so doing, gotten him out of their mission field. But they didn't choose any of those passages. Uh, they didn't walk in that way. What would it be for us to hear yet again what Priscilla and Aquila chose to do in the way in which they addressed this rising conflict with Apollos who had accurate but inadequate teaching? In verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Sisters and brothers, they, they didn't choose to ignore it or to be abusive or to subvert. Rather, they engaged in fellowship. They walked with one another in conversation. They developed a relationship. And from that deeply rooted relationship, they were then able to articulate the fullness of the gospel that was available for Apollos. And not just repentance, but also transformation. Wow. What a model for us. What a model for us when we when we find ourselves feeling the weight of conflict rise up within us, and how are we to respond? And then Apollos had an opportunity to figure out what, how, his, how he was going to respond to this. And I believe because of the way they approached him, because they brought him into their home, because they entered into fellowship with them, because they developed a relationship, as they taught, I believe it was more well-received and it was even received in the power of the Holy Spirit because what we hear is that Apollos then in verse 27, Apollos wanted to go to Acacia and the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help for those who had by grace believed. Do you see what happened there? They entered into conflict in love, grace, and gentleness. And in so doing, it was received and transformation took place in his life so that he was a, an asset to the kingdom, so that he was used to expand the good news. So much so that they would even write a letter of recommendation, an endorsement. Do you think before that, in the midst of the conflict, that they would have written a letter of recommendation? No. But they did that, and here is the fruit of it. We don't get the fruit until we hear about what happens in Corinth. Remember, this is where Paul was. He goes to Ephesus, and this is where Apollos went after he left Ephesus. So where Apollos now 
enters into ministry, Paul then writes later on in 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 9. I want you to hear how beautiful the outcome of this is. Beginning in verse 4, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. And the Lord has assigned to each his task. Hear this. I, Paul, planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither the one who plants, Paul, nor the one who waters, Apollos, is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labors. And then hear this. For we are co-workers, Paul and Apollos. Paul saying that he and Apollos. We are co-workers in God's service. You are the field, God's building. You see, when there is disagreement amongst the saints, when there is conflict to be had, we have a choice on how we enter into it. We could ignore it. We could abuse one another in the midst of it. We could choose to subvert one another's ministries or we could engage in deep, rich, loving, grace-filled relationships. And when we choose that, as Priscilla and Aquila once did with Apollos, God is glorified and there is unity amongst the body as we move forward in ministry. May it be so amongst us as it was with them. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, what a gift it is to know your word and to know that you are with us uh, in your word. And we could hear your voice encouraging us and challenging us to walk more faithfully, more fully into, into who you are and who you've created us to be. Lord, let us know of repentance and transformation. Let us know of your Holy Spirit. Let us know of your gospel and let us declare it with confidence to the world. Lord, be glorified in our response to your word. And so as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, I ask that you would be glorified in and through it, that all that is given and all that is received would go to honor you, to glorify you, that, that the world might know your son, Jesus Christ, and the grace we have in his name, in his life, in his love. We pray it. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.